Friday back in here on The Fan. Let's go out to the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Cleveland.com's Ashley Bastock joining us here at 92.3 The Fan. Ashley, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Good to hear from you as always. Uh, how did you like? I listen. I love Taylor Swift's. Uh, I loved her outfit the last uh, last game. I don't know if we're calling it that, but the jacket made by uh, Mrs. Uzcheck. I thought that was great. And I think she's. I, I think too. she's coming into her own here. I know. I'm obsessed. Can we talk about Kristen Uzcheck's jacket making ability? I'm so glad she's getting her flowers. The <laughs> fact that Kyle Uzcheck is everywhere on social media. Commenting anytime he sees one of those jackets, and not just Taylor Swift, the Taylor Lautner, Aiden Hutchinson jacket, um, the Simone Biles, Brady Mahomes, yeah, dress, yes, so the Simone Biles jacket. I mean, these jackets are about to be the hottest new accessory. I know I saw um, Aiden Hutchinson's mom even requesting her own Hutchinson jacket, which I love Melissa Hutchinson. I hope Kristen honors that request she is the sweetest woman ever um but i'm just glad she's getting her flowers because what work that is to have to make these jackets from scratch i think it's it's awesome it's a fun little side storyline in these playoffs it's so much talent involved there and i got so tired of looking at the comments and people being like ah oh, but she's married to a football player and she's wealthy beyond well it's like it doesn't erase the hard work i get so mad at that stuff like you can come from a wealthy family, and I'm not from a wealthy family at all by any stretch of the measure, but I can recognize you can come from a wealthy family and still work hard, and it doesn't make your accomplishments any less great. No, and those jackets, I mean, they are amazing. Like, I think, and I've seen a lot of, like, discourse about this online. Um, the fact that, and I've, I have famously complained about this, not, not very recently, but more so, I would say pre-reporter days. The women's option mm. for clothes is just not like what's popular right now. It's not what's in style. I think like you can oftentimes find stuff that's you know not officially licensed that is more in style than officially licensed gear that the teams themselves sell across the league. Yeah. So I think something like this happens. It just goes to show. I think there is a huge untapped market that the NFL should get on. Maybe they should bring somebody like Kristen Juszczyk in as a consultant to help, you know, revamp some women's design or women's specific merch because there's a bunch of women who love the NFL, and I think there's a huge, there's so much untapped potential there. Yeah, I thought baseball was awesome with that. Baseball always did a really yes. good job. I think baseball at one point, did they bring in – it might have been like Ashley Judd or someone like that. And, and like, I mean, they brought in somebody that was like high profile that had some style and was, and they were basically just threw a bunch of money at her and was like, hey, fix us and make us better. And then <laughs> and look around, though. Like you go to a base, you go to a Guardians game. There's all sorts of cool options. Yeah, there are. I think they're they're a great example. I think even like the NBA has gotten better, too, in recent years. Like, sure. I think the NBA re really like leans into that streetwear kind of style that's gotten popular and like the athleisure look that's gotten popular in the last like five years. Um, I feel like I'm a fashion correspondent right now. You're nailing but it. Yeah, you're nailing it right now. <laughs> you would never know, right? Um, but no, I think there's there's so much like I'm glad people are talking about this because I really think. There are so many options that are available out there, um, and I, I do. I truly I love those jackets. I was like, I would buy one of those jackets. <laughs> like, right? Like, it might be kind of weird to show up in a Travis Kelsey jacket <laughs> to Brown practice next winter, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe in my free time I can sport one if they go mainstream here. I was going to ask you, you can't wear a Browns player's jacket, could you? Because that no. might be a little too on the nose there. It'd be like, uh, like Nick Chubb looking at you as you're wearing a Nick Chubb one might be a little bit different. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a little weird, I think, if I would buy a Browns player-specific gear. And I don't want just, like, a generic NFL puffer jacket. But, yeah, you know what? Like, you could justify the Travis Kelsey thing, right? Like, the Taylor Swift connection. He's from Cleveland. Like, I don't know. People are weird in those locker rooms, though, Ashley. They're they're weird. They're like, they might be like, all right, I guess Ashley doesn't cover the Browns anymore. I was going to say, I don't think any player would want to talk to me if I if I wore one there. But, you know, maybe I could have it in my closet and just keep it for my off days, which is Tuesdays during the season. Very fun. All right. Well, I, I can tell I don't want to talk about the game that happened on Saturday because I'm like, let's talk about anything but that game <laughs> that happened. Did you go to Houston or no? I did not. You didn't. Okay. Uh, that game was just start to finish. I, I don't know how you had it. I know you had them winning before the game got underway because everyone everyone in Northeast Ohio had them winning, so it's not a bad thing. I just remember seeing the, the Cleveland.com post where it's like, everyone in our staff except for one person, and I was like, I don't think it's going to be Ashley, Dan, or Mary Kay, so I think <laughs> we're okay here. But um, how did it all go wrong, Ashley? Yeah, you know, I think ultimately – this team just did not show up, and I think they've admitted that. And I, now it's figuring out why were they not ready for this moment that they had played the whole season for. And I think there are some bigger picture things defensively that went wrong. I thought it was really interesting to hear C.J. Stroud after the game say, we knew they weren't disciplined with their eyes. And I think – that's almost to me like a byproduct of what makes a Jim Schwartz defense so good. Like it's so much causing chaos and being fast and reacting fast and all those things. But I do think, uh, you know, a, a side effect of that becomes eh, we're, we're not going to be always looking in the right spot where we should, or we're going to react too quickly to something. And that's where mistakes happen. I think you saw it uh, on that play where I believe it was Ronnie Hickman that got beat um on the sideline like that's an example of it I just think that ultimately though when you look at this season everyone's kind of making this point about was this why was this defense so bad on the road for me I know we've discussed this it's less about the location of those games maybe that does have something to do with it ultimately but their worst performances of the year and I'll throw out the first Baltimore game because there were so many you know, extenuating circumstances in that week four game. So I'm looking at Denver against the Rams and then this game on Saturday. It was the savviness of the quarterbacks that they played that I think really did them in. And the first two, you know, and Russell Wilson and Matt Stafford, two guys who are really quick to react. They're veteran guys, obviously, Super Bowl guys. Um, they knew how to read this defense and go through their reads quickly and make them mess up. And I think C.J. Stroud, he's not a vet, but it's the same thing. His processing is amazing. That's why he only threw five interceptions during the regular season at 23 touchdowns. So for me, it's less about, oh, this defense couldn't perform on the road, and more about, hey, when we face these quarterbacks that are on another level, and again, Russell Wilson, for better and worse, what's happened in Denver, he's a veteran who's going to know how to you know, counter this style of defense. It's about the Browns figuring out, okay, what's the next step for when we beat the when we have to face these guys? Because you look at that schedule next year, it's a lot more formidable in the regular season if everybody's healthy and they got lucky with some guys not being healthy this year. And I think that's just the reality.
Yeah, I guess my response back to that, though, and it's the part that just makes it so confusing to me, is you're 100% right. You could even throw Gardner Minshew in that mix of guys that just kind of was able to figure out the Browns for whatever reason. Yeah, he's another example, yeah. But but I look at the guys that they did beat, you know. They they shut down Brock Purdy. I know there was injuries in that game, but they got, they got the best of Brock Purdy. Lamar Jackson, seven weeks ago, it's the only game he's looked bad in the previous three months. He's going to win the MVP this year. You know, they, they shut down Trevor Lawrence, who I, he might not have had the best season. We think we thought very highly of Trevor Lawrence now for going on three years. Every quarterback, like, there's a lot of really good quarterbacks that I'm naming off here that should have the same processing abilities of C.J. Stroud, at least. And I, I don't know what made C.J. and really Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson so different than those guys. So for me, like to go back through those, like the Baltimore game is obviously the Browns' best game of the season, right? That's when all the pieces came together. We saw it for one brief shining moment, and now it's going to be the game for better and worse that we talk about for the next nine months. And maybe that game was an anomaly ultimately. Like we won't know that, right, until we get deep, deep, deep into next season. Trevor Lawrence had a bad ankle that game. I think that severely impacted him. And then Brock Purdy, yes, like I do think the 49ers are a good team. But, again, he didn't have Debo Samuel. He didn't have Christian McCaffrey for the second half of that game. I think that ultimately, like, it, you know, the Browns did what they needed to do to win that game. But also, if Jake Moody does his job and makes that fairly easy field goal, yeah, that, that game is a different – it's a totally different Yeah, but, story. but they still shut down the quarterback, though, is the, is the point, though, even though they were in position to win. But we still would have looked at it like that was a big yeah. win. I, I agree with you, though, and I, I, I'm kind of – I like building up that case more because that case makes more sense to me. And I would, I would add in Joe Burrow in week one, also through an injury yeah, right there. Exactly. We, we shut him down, yeah, and it looks, it looks nice. You're like, oh, it's Joe Burrow – but it, it, you need you need the whole picture of it all, and so maybe we just got to look at the Baltimore game as a as an anomaly, as you said. And I mean, I think too there was something there, right? And I do think there was something special about this team. I think this defense is good, but I am curious to see what this is going to look like now when you have to play a harder schedule, when you have guys like Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott coming to town. I do think it's it's going to be a bit tougher of a challenge. That's the nature when you do well in the NFL the following year, your schedule is going to be more challenging. So I do think there are some legitimate questions about where they go from here and how they adjust. But I also don't mean to say like, oh, this defense was not, they were total pretenders all year. Cause I don't think that's the case either. Like, I don't think this is black and white. I do think there is some gray area. Um, and obviously like wins, they mask a lot. But I also think it's fair to acknowledge, like, hey, there were certainly some times this year where they got lucky. But, you know, a lot of teams get lucky, and you have to take advantage. You still have to take advantage. They managed to do that a lot. And I think hopefully what the finished product of this all looks like is like that Baltimore game, and it isn't an anomaly. And you bring enough pieces back, and you go out and fill the handful of holes that are going to be on the roster – and you come back, you know, taking a step forward next year as opposed to, like, one step back like we saw in 2021 after the 2020 playoff year. Ashley Bastock joining us, Cleveland.com. Uh, so you're in the locker room. You talked to a lot of these guys. I, I thought the, the theme before the game, I thought there was way too much Super Bowl conversation. I didn't make a big deal about it because at the time I was like, hey, maybe they could go to the Super Bowl. In hindsight, though, looking back on it, do you feel like maybe maybe they put the cart before the horse a little bit too much? I kind of have struggled with this. like Just because, for me, I don't know that I necessarily mind that because it is the ultimate goal. 
And they had hammered home that 1-0 mindset every single week um, so much. And I do think they did believe that. But, you know, I think in 2020, from what I remember, it was like the similar a similar thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that Kevin very much had those guys believing in week to week, you know, we're focusing on the task at hand. And then once they got to the playoffs, guys did open up and start talking about that, you know, a Super Bowl and, and all of that. So I don't know if the focus wasn't there, um, but it's fair to question, I think. However, I do think it's one of those things, like, if they win, like, no one's talking about it. So yeah. it's one of those, to me, that's much easier to criticize in hindsight. And But I will say I just feel like the messaging this year in general was good and was uniform for them. So I'm not bumping on it too much now because they lost this one game. I do really think those guys believe that for most of the year. I don't think that just totally went away once they got to the wild card. You know, another thing in hindsight is the idea that they rested everyone in week 18. Uh, Again, given all the knowledge we have, I I don't know. At the time, I said I thought it was a good idea. I did say I thought Joe Flacco, I would have thrown him for maybe a quarter or a half. Just because it felt like it, it, the way that he was going, he needed the rhythm of everything, I feel like. Uh, I, I don't know if, if Stefanski would redo it any different, though, Ashley. Yeah, no one got asked about that and, of course, didn't really say anything, um, <laughs> understandably. So, but I that's another one, too, that's kind of tough for me because you can see the argument for each side. Um, and I just think, ultimately, this is a team that had dealt with so many injuries all year when you get that chance to say, hey, our seat's locked up. It is what it is. We'd rather make sure everybody's healthy because, again, the flip side of that is if you throw Joe Flacco out there um, and you got, you know, Sam Hubbard that hits him really hard and Mm -hmm. he's suddenly in the concussion protocol, then you're really in trouble because who are you throwing out there? You're down to Jeff Driscoll and P.J. Walker at that point. Um, And then it's going to be really hard to win a playoff game on the road in Houston. So I'm I'm I did not in real time think, and eh, maybe they should play these guys to keep their rhythm going. I advocated for them resting as many guys as humanly possible, and even like to the point that I'm like, hey, there's no you should not be throwing Miles Garrett out there so he can try and you know wrap up this defensive player of the year case and get a few more sacks. Like I just didn't think any of that was worth it at the time. So I think I kind of still fall on that side, just given how that year went with injuries for them. What happens to Joe Flacco in your mind? You know, it's funny because I could see a world in which he, you know, wants to come back here. And I, but I think ultimately he wants to show, Hey, I can still start. And I think that's what he did this year. So I think ultimately he just played too well to stay here is kind of how I view it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very similar situation to Jacoby Brissett last year. Like he showed, hey, I can be a starter. He went and went to Washington where he had a chance to compete for the starting job. He didn't win it, but it was still a chance to compete. So I could see, you know, the same thing happening to Joe, maybe being a bridge quarterback for um, a team that drafts somebody young, maybe going to compete for a starting job. We'll just kind of see how the quarterback landscape shakes out. But I do think, for me, I would be surprised if he is back. And I do think the Browns need to spend some time reevaluating that backup spot um, because I think he probably will have a chance to start. We know how hard teams, you know, struggle to find the guy. And especially if you have somebody younger that you want to take some time to develop. Joe Flacco would be a really good voice in that room to kind of help a rookie or a young quarterback along, I think. 
Ashley, fantastic stuff as always. It's always a treat to have you on, and hopefully we can catch up with you soon. Thank you so much. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, good stuff right there with Ashley Bastock, Cleveland.com. Uh, of course, always check out everything she's doing over there. She does a fantastic job. All right, uh, we're going to touch on what she's had to say about the quarterbacks. I, I, I'm wondering if I need to rethink a lot of the conversations we've been having about the defense and the quarterbacks. We have seen Saturday based off of some of what Ashley had to say there, and also, do you feel good for Baker Mayfield? 216-474-0092. We'll do it all next. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterman here with you on the fan. So for me, like to go back through those, like the Baltimore game is obviously the Browns' best game of the season, right? That's when all the pieces came together. We saw it for one brief shining moment, and now it's going to be the game for better and worse that we talk about for the next nine months. And maybe that game was an anomaly, ultimately. Like we won't know that, right, until we get deep, deep, deep into next season. Ashley Bastock right there joining us moments ago. I, I, I think it's fascinating. Maybe I should have. I don't think I have because I've been so focused on the, hey, these names are great of the idea uh, of all these quarterbacks. Like, I think about Brock Purdy's a great name to have the Browns give an embarrassing game to. Obviously, anytime I mention Brock Purdy having a good game, it comes with the idea that Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel both were injured in that game and weren't available to him. So it's like, okay, well, we can't give him too much credit for that, can we? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what we give credit to. Trevor Lawrence had the ankle sprain. How much credit can we give to Jacksonville or in the Jacksonville game to the Browns defense when Trevor Lawrence has an ankle sprain? How much credit can we give to the Browns defense for Joe Burrow in week one when Joe Burrow has that injury? I think Lamar, the fascinating point there is if Ashley suggests that Lamar was the anomaly, that might make more sense than me doing all sorts of mental gymnastics to make the case that this Browns defense shut down a million really good quarterbacks. Because Matthew Stafford lighting him up, it's not like we had 10 quarterbacks light up the Browns' defense. We had one throw for 300 yards all season long. One. And if you take the sacks in the equation, we've already talked about that as well. Pro football reference, when you go to the passing yards tab for the Browns, 288 is the highest total total passing yards that the Browns allowed in any given game this year. So up until C.J. Stroud... And then C.J. Stroud absolutely obliterated every bit of uh, the idea of what a passer rating could be against this Browns defense. The passer rating had been, for the majority of the year, though, in the regular season, had been the equivalent of what Zach Wilson was throughout his entire career with the Jets. Absolute garbage. And it was dead, dead last in the NFL if you'd made the opposing team's passer rating into a real player. They were so good. But maybe they were good because we were taking on a cooked Ryan Tannehill. Maybe they were good because Kenny Pickett isn't good at football. Maybe they were good because we were taking on so many bad quarterbacks. I hate for that to be the reality, but we take down a, we took on a lot of bad quarterbacks and the good quarterbacks we took on, as Ashley laid it out for you right there, with the exception of Lamar, I can find an excuse for every one of the quote-unquote good quarterbacks for why they struggled. It's not a great realization. It isn't. It doesn't mean the C.J. Stroud thing was coming from a mile, a million miles away, but it's just not. It's not great for putting a feather in the cap of what is supposed to be one of the best defenses of the previous ten years. Every advanced analytical model told us this team was awesome beyond awesome, and we wanted to buy into it. And it makes sense why you want to buy into it, but you dig a little bit deeper, and, and we have the full context of the entire year now. You dig a little bit deeper, and you can come up with all the excuses to how we ended up getting there. It's not great. 
It's a punch to the stomach. There's no other way to look at it, truthfully. When Geno Smith carves you up for two touchdowns before your pizzas even got cold, you know you have issues. But it just felt like when it rained, it poured. I mean, I mean that combination, back-to-back weeks, you had, you had Gardner Minshew throwing for a million yards, looking great. You had Geno after that, and it's like, you shouldn't go back-to-back weeks against those two like that. I don't know. It's tough. The schedule, will, it, it'll be easier next year. There's no doubt about it. But this year, all things considered, we got a lot of breaks when it comes to playing really, really good, perceived really good quarterbacks. No way around that. All right, leave that there. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. What I want to do with you guys now, I want to uh, I'm going to play this clip of Baker Mayfield, and then we're going to go from there. Okay, Baker Mayfield is asked the question of whether or not the playoff win feels better than the Browns playoff win that he got here in Cleveland. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to directly compare, but yeah, obviously the ups and downs that I've been through in the last few years, this one's great. But our, like I said earlier, our sights are set for bigger goals, and so on to the next one. It's a great answer. Uh, He says, yeah, as if he's like acknowledging the question. I think that's more of him acknowledging the fact that it's not as good as beating Pittsburgh and it's not as good as what that moment was. Now, I think Baker has to understand a couple things, and I think he knows this, obviously, but I'm going to go ahead and lay it out. Nobody outside of Tampa Bay had anything set for expectations with this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. Nobody. I remember talking to our buddy Zach Wobner, who does uh, Radio WDAE in Tampa Bay. I had him on in the summer, and I remember asking him about what his expectations were. He's like, well, we, we kind of expect to win the division. He goes, I don't understand it. Nobody else around national media expects us to do anything, but I expect us to win the division. I was like, well, that's a glass-half-full approach. I can appreciate the honesty. He's like, no, but we did, the division's not good. It's not that we're so good. It's the division isn't good. And when the division isn't that good and you still have Godwin and Evans, you got to make a run for it. And I'm like, you're right, but nobody else sees it that way. The First in Pod podcast I told you guys I listened to, it's, uh, it's Philipponi, it's Danny Parkins. I like it for Danny Parkins. It's good. And I remember they did this draft before the season got underway. It was them ranking out which teams they would take to get into the postseason, and they had to take them all as like a selection model. They had Nick Wright on too. It's why it's really why I listen. And uh, it was the three of them, and they were going one by one. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the last team chosen, dead last out of thirty-two teams, and now they're in the postseason. The expectations for Tampa Bay was in the bottom of the basement. What I love this story for is a couple things. I love this story for Baker. And I love this story because it preaches to how weird the NFL is. But let me ask you, 216-474 to below 92. Do you feel good for Baker? And I'm going to try to do this in a nice way. Many of you guys know that I was in Baker's corner. Many of you remember that because when he was doing my, uh, when he was doing not hot, okay, when he was struggling, my mentions were filled on a daily basis with the idea that, oh, Jonathan, you Baker honk. You just you loved Baker so much, and look at him now. What an idiot you are. And listen, that comes with the territory. I'm like Evil Knievel. I get paid for the attempt. It doesn't bother me, really, in reality, if you guys think I'm right or wrong on something. I've been doing this long enough. I'm okay. I felt good about the, prognos- uh, the, the uh, prognosis I had with Baker Mayfield. I, I felt good about the idea that coming out of college when he broke efficiency records in the NCAA – and when he won a Heisman, and when he went number one overall, what I was seeing was something that was good. I felt good about it. And I thought it would translate. And then, you know, it's funny, it's actually this weekend, 
when I was looking up articles to read more about C.J. Stroud, there was an article on CBS Sports where they ranked Baker Mayfield's rookie season as the number fourth best rookie season of all time, and they ranked C.J. Stroud's year this last year as number five. Like, we forget how good he really was. I remember at times during that rookie season, I had boldly made the claim, obviously this one didn't go very well, but I had boldly made the claim that I had thought Baker Mayfield versus Patrick Mahomes was going to be our generation's version of Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady. Like, I believed in him. So much so, I, I once had a series when I was doing weekend shows where it was like, it was, it was my, uh, it was five minutes with Baker's inner circle where I interviewed people that were in Baker's inner circle just to get a glimpse of them, right? Like, I interviewed his barber, interviewed the dude that bat four, uh, third when Baker batted fourth in his high school baseball team, like all those type of people, right? And it was just cool and fun, and he's a great story. He is. But you guys know I've been in his corner for a very long time. I've wanted to see this success for Baker Mayfield. I always said, though, still think the Browns made the right move. And it's because of games like this weekend that you start to fall back in love with Baker Mayfield. But let me ask you out there. How many people believe Tampa Bay has a legitimate shot to win the Super Bowl this year? Jax, if memory serves me right, you're a, you're a Baker fan as well. Is that correct? Yes, you're correct. Did you remember me being the Baker guy on the station? Or did you not listen to the station you, as much? No, you've told me You've told me the whole story, though. Well, I know I told you. I, I, yeah. It's odd that I remind people that I was a Baker guy. <laughs> that's, like, that's like telling people, hey, remember the time I went to jail for five years? Like It's, not, it's like a weird thing to remind people of. I didn't go to jail. I'm, I'm using a hypothetical there. But it'd be, like, it'd be like that. It'd be like, uh, hey, remember that time I got caught shoplifting? What a great time that was. It's like, geez, I know, why are you bringing up bad things in your life? Yeah, yeah, I used to walk around here even when Baker was doing poorly on uh, the Panthers and the Rams, and it felt like Sean McVay was giving him pity auditions. I was like, yeah, I loved Baker, okay? I loved him. I thought he was great. I thought he was awesome. My bad, I guess, because I always knew he had this talent. But let me ask you this. You're a Baker guy. I'm a Baker guy. In your heart of hearts, do you think that Baker Mayfield is going to win the Super Bowl this year? No, I don't think so. No chance. James Bridges, were you a Baker guy or no? Yeah, I roll with Baker. You roll with Baker? You think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year? Uh, I'm not going to roll with them that tough, but I think you, you got a shot. No, but exactly right. You got a shot. Everyone's got a shot when you're in the dance. There's no chance he's going in there. If he makes it past the Lions and goes to the 49ers, congratulations. You made it to the NFC title game. That's as far as you go. That's why I never blame the Browns in this scenario at all. The Browns were just honest with themselves. It was never Baker's fault that Baker was the quarterback that he is this year. That's who he's always been. That's who he is. He is 12th in passer rating. He is a top 10 quarterback right now in touchdowns this year. 28 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, roughly 4,100 yards. That's exactly what the Browns thought that he was going to deliver them. One playoff win, near 500, slightly above 500 record. These are all the things the Browns had promised him or had basically been promised by him. And we all knew it. And the Browns turned that down. They were right. They were right. As soon as you can admit, you might love Baker, you might hate Baker. It doesn't matter what he does in Tampa Bay because he's not winning a Super Bowl. As soon as you can admit that, the Browns were right. 
and they'll always be right in this equation. Deshaun Watson can flame out. It doesn't matter. The process was the right process. Now I sound like a I sound like a Sam Henke clone process over results guy, but the process was the right process. You go out there and you get somebody that you think can win you a Super Bowl. Now you might want to argue that they identified the wrong guy. You might have said, hey, they should have gone after you. At the time, there was three quarterbacks out there. Aaron Rodgers was never coming to Cleveland. Russell Wilson was never coming to Cleveland, and they were left with Deshaun Watson. You might argue they pushed the chips all in the middle of the table for the wrong guy, and if they just decided to maybe draft a different quarterback, it would have gone better for him. Okay, fine. We can listen to that. But what they realized and what they put together was they had a fantastic team, Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb, pro bowlers on that offensive line coming out of the you-know-what. They were great. They had to take advantage of that. I'll never begrudge the Browns for not being satisfied with a 10-win season. Being satisfied with a 10-win season and then a playoff appearance and either a playoff loss or one playoff win is the exact same reason why Mike Tomlin is still the head coach of the Steelers. Because the Pittsburgh owners are okay with the idea that Mike Tomlin, for seven straight years, has him at eight wins, nine wins, ten wins, doesn't win a playoff game, but it is what it is. Hey, we're relevant. Hey, we get one weekend where people talk about us. The Browns wanted more. I'm okay with that. 216-474-0092. Do you feel good for Baker, though? Will you root for Baker? And in hindsight, are you willing to go the route that I am? A Baker fan that's here to tell you guys until I'm blue in the face, the Browns made the right call. They made the right decision. It might not be looking so great right now, but they still made the right decision. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterman here with you on The Fan. We'll get back to Baker in just a second. I, I'm watching this video Ken just posted on his Facebook. It's him beating his kid in, in like NBA 2K. We'll get to more with Ken and Anthony coming up in, in 9 o'clock, 20 minutes in the fan focus. I would bet they talk about this in some capacity tomorrow. I'm going to give him a – I'm going to say, first off, good job because he, he, he beat his kid, and I, I'm going to be the type of parent that does not – I don't let my kids win. I will never let my kids win. Because it's the only way they learn how they how they earn it is when you beat them and you beat them. My mom, my mom and dad never let me beat me, beat them in anything. But then the, the day that I beat them, it mattered more. I'll never forget playing Monopoly and then beating my mom and being like, "This is the greatest thing ever." We played chess. We used to play chess all the time. And I like the day I actually beat my mom in chess. I was like, "This is awesome." Like it's just you gotta you gotta you gotta beat your kid's ass when it comes to that stuff. I only way I know how. Only way I know how. Now, the only thing I would say, though, I don't know. Jax, you play you play NBA 2K? I don't play video games. I haven't played in a long time. I play 2K a lot. I, yeah. I used to. And I, I'm, what I'm thinking of right now is the movie The Breakup, the Vince Vaughn scene where Vince Vaughn is playing that, like, 12-year-old Madden, and his response back is like, I don't – listen, I have a job and responsibilities. You've got nothing to do. You should be way better than me at this. And maybe that's the case here. Maybe uh, Ken's 8-year-old kid should be better than Ken in this game because he, he's got all sorts of time. Ken was really gloating for someone that only won by 23. I think, I think Axel Redolf, uh, 108-85 is the final there. 20, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's got to be a bigger beatdown, no? If I played an 8-year-old in an NBA game, you'd think 23 points would be it, right? No, 23 points is still a lot. That's a lot? Yes. Is it like an NBA game then where 23 points is a beatdown? Yes. Really? He, yes. The kid's 8 years old. He had no chance of coming back once he was down 12. He's eight years old. He shouldn't have had a chance to do anything. No, no, no. If you're eight and you play enough video games, you should be able to be a little competitive. You keep it under twenty. 
You got to pass the sticks once it hit 20, baby. Up, raise up. I want next. Let Ken, hey, tell Ken, come, all right, so, come, so, come see me, baby. All right, yeah. So real basketball is the only way that I should just dominate eight-year-olds then. If I play an NBA two game, 2K1 game, I got a chance to lose? Yeah. I guess you're just hitting. You do. I guess you're just hitting the circle button or whatever button replaces the circle button. It's repetition. They play more often than you. Well, that's the that's the case that Vince Vaughn makes in the breakup. That like you're you're young, you don't have a job. This is the only thing you do. You should be better than me at this. I don't know why. I just thought I'd be able to steal like a bunch of. I know I could no. I could I could take a basketball away from an eight year old playing real basketball. I don't know why I thought in video game world it'd be just as easy. They're there eight. Depends on what teams you play as too. I I saw he had LeBron in a Cavs uniform, so I imagine he used all time Cavs. That's, that's cheating. That's, that's unfair. He should have beat him by more. That that speaks more to Ken skills than the eight year old. I think what I would do is I would give him like primo LeBron Cavs, and I would play with like the current year Detroit Pistons. See, then that would be a close game, actually. Yeah, you asking for trouble. Don't play with fate. Don't let him hang around. I I beat him by 23 with the current day Detroit Pistons, and he gets his franchise LeBron James Cavs team. That wouldn't happen, though. What do you mean it wouldn't happen? The Pistons are really bad. You think the algorithm was going to let you get that off? He's eight years old. Pistons are a good 2K team, though. Like, it's different. There's some bad teams in the NBA that are good to use on 2K because Cade is really good in the game. So... I agree with Jax's uh, main point. I'm just not applying it to the Pistons. It's the Pistons. I'll have five Jeremy Sochans on the team and, and him shooting the one-handed free throws, and I'll still be able to beat an eight-year-old. Like, what, what, no, are, we, what are we no, doing here? No, I don't don't so, fate like that, He's man. eight. Doesn't matter. He's eight. He's Jeremy Sochan. One-handed. He looks like such a goober. <laughs> one-handed free throws. I, I bet I bet way too much on the Spurs yesterday, and they erased that that uh, that – Deficit from the Hawks, and I'm watching that stupid game, and then Soshan goes up there, and he does the one-handed free throws, and I'm like, I'm placing money on a dude that is making one-handed free throws. What the hell am I doing in my life? And then, of course, they came back and raised a 35-point deficit to cut it within six. I'm a great live sports better. I might not be the world's greatest sports better. I'm a great live sports better. I just need to put that out there for the people. All right, anyway, back to Baker Mayfield. Sorry, quick aside. I obviously don't know anything about sports video games in the slightest bit. I just thought you'd win by more than 23. I, I know when my mom and I were playing board games growing up and uh, we played different games and such like that, she would just destroy me. I mean, she would clean house. It was way higher than the equivalent of a 23-point NBA 2K game. Oh, there's a reason why she wouldn't play me in MLB 99. That's, uh, that probably remains true. 216-474-0092. Cal Ripken Jr. on the cover of that game. Vince Scully, your broadcaster on that one. They showed movies on that fight. Oh, it was an awesome game. All right. Also, one of the first video games I know where you could draft players. That was a game changer in the video game world. Do you feel good for Baker Mayfield, though? I feel great for him. You guys know that I'm a Baker guy. You guys know I'll always support Baker. But I think how you handle this, Browns fans, I think this tells me how you would handle an ex-wife meeting someone new and being happy. Not everyone wants the best for their exes, okay? But most reasonable people understand that someone else's happiness is not a bad thing. We're all just trying out here in this game of life. That's all we're doing. We're trying. As long as the ex didn't give you a reason to hate their guts, rooting for their happiness is an all right thing. And Baker didn't give Browns fans a reason to hate his guts. Honestly, ask yourself this question. What was the biggest crime that Baker ever committed in a Browns uniform? Flirting with being a top 10 quarterback? Is that what it was? His biggest crime is that As a number one overall pick, he turned out to be closer to Derek Carr than he was Aaron Rodgers. 
Jonathan, we didn't like his ego. Oh, really? You didn't like his ego? The man was number one overall after winning a Heisman and playing in a college football playoff the year prior. You didn't you didn't think that come with some ego in life? Name me a number one overall quarterback that doesn't have an ego. I'll wait. How you can make an argument, Justin Herbert, who everyone knew was God's gift of football when he was in college. Justin Herbert should have gone number one overall, and in most years he would have. But he came back for his senior season, stayed in the draft one more year longer, which obviously hurt him. But he stayed, he stayed for his senior season because he said he wanted to get more experience. He didn't think he was ready for the NFL. And that dropped him from being a number one overall pick to then being fifth. I mean, it was, it was as simple as that. Real debates. Herbert or Tua happened based off the idea that Herbert didn't have enough cockiness to him. But then all of a sudden, guys like Baker Mayfield are going to be punished for being a little bit too cocky? I, damned if you do, damned if you don't. I'm happy for Baker. I am. I'm sad for the Browns, but I'm happy for Baker. It's not his fault. He's the one that got dumped. It's not his fault. What did he do? What did he do that was so bad outside of trying to win the Browns a Super Bowl? All anybody ever tells me is you want somebody in this city that loves this city as much as you do, cares about this city as much as you do, and wants the Browns to be successful as much as you do. Check, check, and check. I mean, that man, that's all he ever did was go to bat for this city. He embraced Cleveland. He wrapped Cleveland around his arms. He tried to put the whole entire city on his shoulders. And in turn, all it did was get a half the half the fan base just angry as hell at him. And it makes no sense to me. Makes zero sense to me. The, the biggest problem you have with Baker Mayfield is that he just isn't Joe Burrow. You know, the biggest problem you have with Baker Mayfield is that he isn't one of these number one overall picks. He didn't turn into Andrew Luck. He didn't turn into Peyton Manning. He didn't turn into one of these number one overall picks that is a franchise-altering, game-changing quarterback. That's not his fault. It's not his fault. It's not due to lack of effort. It's not due to lack of try. He's a good quarterback. He's just a he's a fringe top 10 guy. That's who he is. And that's not bad. That's still really good. And I think in today's NFL, I think you can win with that. But what the Browns decided a couple years ago in the landscape they were in, they looked around and said, we couldn't win with that. I think the landscape has changed. I think this year would have been a perfect year to have someone like Baker Mayfield under center for the Browns. Fantastic defense, and then look around us. Trevor Lawrence ended up with an ankle injury. Joe Burrow ended up with an injury as well. Deshaun Watson, obviously, but that, one for, that one's for us, so that one doesn't count the same way. You just had uh, Aaron Rodgers comes to the AFC and then gets injured as well. You had so many different injuries. Patrick Mahomes kind of came back down to earth for the first time. We've never seen him really look that way that he did this year. So many opportunities for the Browns. And so many opportunities for any AFC team that when you were doing the math on this a couple years ago, just didn't seem possible. You know, it it seemed like you needed, if you're going to take on the Bengals, you're going to take on Lamar, you're going to take on all these great quarterbacks, Josh Allen was going nowhere, Patrick Mahomes obviously staying true. It looked like if you were ever going to make it to the AFC title game, you needed one of these big juggernaut quarterbacks. And then something happened this year where just kind of the landscape shifted a little bit. Everything kind of changed. And now it kind of looks like you may not need a top five to get the job done. You might just need somebody that's a top 10. And Baker Mayfield is that guy. But you can't rewrite history. You can't turn back uh, time, get in a DeLorean, and then redo this thing. It doesn't work that way. Them's the breaks. But I feel good for Baker in the process. It's one of those scenarios 
where there's a world out there where both sides are shaking hands and saying we're better off. You know, thanks for it all, how it all went down. Every now and then you see this where uh, people get divorced. They, you know, they, they get married early, then they get divorced. And you look around and it's like, oh, well, geez, he's, he's much happier off with her, isn't he? And, oh, wow. She married someone really nice, didn't she? Yeah, it worked out really nice. That was, they, they both seem like, they both seem like happier people. They both have moved on. Both now are, they got, they got families that they've rebuilt on their own. Like, that's really nice. That was a, that was a good move. They didn't work together. That was a good move. There's a world out there where that exists. Where Baker realizes maybe he was better off without the Browns, and the Browns put together they were better off with Baker. The sad part for this weekend is it looks like maybe Baker has realized that side of things, and he's in a better situation now in Tampa Bay. And we can't say the same on our end. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. Pac Man up next on the fan. What's up, Pac Man? Hey, how you doing, man? Um, I know I, I do agree with you that the Browns could win with Baker. Um, we don't need the top five quarterback. Um, you know, I did like him when he was here, but I think the reason why he's not here, I think the guys in the locker room just got tired of him. You know, like all the issues he had with OBJ and Jarvis. And you remember the comments about we need an adult in the room. I think they just got tired of that and they started tuning him out. And he just, they just realized he wasn't a good fit. They needed to go out and get somebody that. I think the uh, adult in the room stuff, Pac-Man, was just an excuse. That was an excuse to get rid of him. That's, so? Yeah, that's, again, that's you, that's you getting a divorce and being like, ah, she's controlling. Is she controlling or do you yeah. just want a divorce? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, Miles didn't seem like he was too keen on him either. You know, I, like, I think there was something going on there. Like, they listen, just, to, listen to some I, of what people have said, though. Listen to Austin Hooper. He's gone publicly and talked about what a great guy Baker is. Nick Chubb has talked about how much he likes Baker, even in the, the hindsight of everything. Like, there's enough guys that have gone to bat for him. I don't see it that way, Pac-Man. Yeah, I, I mean, I like him. I agree with what you're saying. I like him. I think we could have win with him. How far he would get us, I don't know. It depends on how, how you know, with Chubb and the running game and, sure. and the defense. So he, he can't do it alone. For sure, um, for sure. You know, but I do like him. I do agree with you. Yeah, and, and listen, I, and I appreciate you. I'll elaborate a little bit more. I, I, I don't begrudge the Browns for the move. I don't. At the time, I think they made the right decision because they didn't think Baker could win a Super Bowl. I don't think Baker can win a Super Bowl. I think it's different now this year than it was a couple years ago. I don't think Baker can win you a Super Bowl, and I think that's why they made the decision. You get Deshaun because you think Deshaun can win you Super Bowls. But it doesn't help right now. Baker, I don't think, will have the last laugh in this one. But right now, it gets to laugh. The playoffs can and will affect uh, what happens affect what happens next season. Daryl Ryder, Andy Baskin, cover it all during the It's Always Game Day in Cleveland, sponsored locally by Smiley One and Bryant, Northeast Ohio's premier heating and cooling solution. Subscribe to the podcast, 923thefan.com, or on the Odyssey app. All right. Fan focus. Coming your way next. It's overtime with Jonathan Beetle here with you on The Fan.